Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Don Ma in for Stepnia. Here are today's top stories. The U.S. introducing a new mandate for travelers from China, a testing mandate, as COVID cases surge there. A Texas border city sees record illegal crossings, even after the nation's highest court allows authorities to continue to expel illegal immigrants under Title 42. This is just a band-aid on a broken immigration system. A Wall Street titan has agreed to manage the transfer of investments into Ukraine's economy. This comes less than a week after the House approved a $45 billion aid package for Ukraine. A recent year-end report claims media outlets are politicizing climate change, what it says about big names like the Associated Press and its response. And are U.S. cars being made through forced labor in China? A new report highlights potential connections, and a senator wants an investigation. In response to the COVID-19 outbreak in China, the U.S. is imposing new rules for travelers coming from China. Passengers from China will need to have a negative COVID test result within two days before flying. This new rule takes effect starting January 5th. It applies to all passengers regardless of nationality or vaccination status. Health officials are concerned over the situation in China. Infections have been spreading since the regime ended its strict zero-COVID policy, including travel restrictions. Recently, China has stopped reporting key numbers about the outbreak. So far, Japan, India, Taiwan and Italy's Lombardia region have also imposed testing requirements for people traveling from China. At a new record in Eagle Pass, Texas, more than 1,000 illegal immigrants crossing in just five hours. That's despite the Supreme Court allowing Title 42 to stay at least for the next several months. The Biden administration says they have a plan to replace the temporary rule, but not everyone's convinced. NTD's Melina Weisskopf has the story. A temporary border policy extended yet again after 19 states pled for the nation's highest court to keep it for fear of what the already unmanageable border crisis could become once Title 42 is lifted. It's estimated that tens of thousands are waiting to cross the border. We still don't have anything concrete. We're waiting for something to happen in these hours. Otherwise, we'll have to cross somewhere illegally. Some already crossed, now lining the streets. Eagle Pass, Texas, hitting a record overnight. 1,100 migrants in just five hours. Or shown here in El Paso, Texas. With the Supreme Court's recent approval, Border Patrol holds the authority to quickly expel illegal immigrants under Title 42, a public rule enacted during the pandemic. But El Paso's mayor says the issue runs too deep for one policy to solve. We've gotten about $10 million in, in front money to be able to provide the service. But again, this is just a band-aid on a broken immigration system. The system has to be fixed because we can't continue to go this way. The Biden administration says it's prepared and is ready for Title 42 to end, pointing to a six-point plan the DHS says they've implemented since April. That plan includes measures like sending more resources, border agents and processors to the border, and imposing consequences for illegal crossers. It also leverages alternatives to detention, allowing illegal migrants to be released by DHS to await their day in court.
Now, many have said that a more permanent solution would be to enforce the immigration laws that are already on the books. For example, Congressman Henry Cuellar, a Democrat from Texas, points out that there is already a law that bans people from claiming asylum for five years if they have already been removed from the country after crossing illegally. He also says that there should be updates to Title VIII that would allow for a quicker uh, removal that would take just days instead of months. Um, but the interesting thing here is that that lawmakers from both sides, as well as the Biden administration, have expressed the need to update what they call outdated immigration laws. But the issue here is uh, how exactly, which, which direction exactly to go in when they are updating these laws. Um, this has caused a stalemate on the issue on Capitol Hill. There have been a number of bipartisan proposals that have come forth, but none of these bipartisan proposals have actually been given the priority that they would need to actually start debate a negotiation that would actually allow lawmakers to come to a solution that could pass Congress. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Melina Weiskup, NTD News. And let's go a little deeper into this issue, looking specifically at San Diego County. Over a thousand migrants have been transported there in the past week. NTD's David Lamb heard from a county supervisor who said the influx of people is unsustainable for the county. San Diego County is at full capacity with the influx of migrants at its shelter and transit centers, and officials are demanding for federal government assistance. Well, unfortunately, two days before Christmas, my office was notified uh, via the Border Patrol that they were going to be dropping off asylum seekers uh, in San Diego County, approximately 200 of them, uh, at different transit stations. San Diego County Supervisor Jim Desmond told NCD that the shelters in the county are filled up. When the Border Patrol buses people in from Texas or Arizona, they have to release the migrants because they can only hold people for so long. I asked a few questions like, well, are you providing them with tickets? Are you providing them with money, any assistance or guidance on how to even use the system or get to where they want to go? And the answer was no, 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 and no. So basically, they were just dropping them off. They said in a safe manner, which was nice, but it would have been nice if they had some sort of guidance as well. Supervisor Desmond said this continued for at least four days so far, with over a thousand migrants and asylum seekers dropped off. We have 600 beds, so we have been working on this issue, but right now we're inundated. I think the federal government really needs to step up and provide either housing or some sort of guidance resources at these transit stations to help these people get, get on their way. And it's not just people from Mexico. We also see people from Haiti, from Colombia, from you know South America, Central America, from China, uh, all, all Ukraine as well, all coming across the border. And, and Desmond believes his county will be at full capacity for many days to come. His solution is to secure the border and receive federal support, criticizing the Biden administration. The supervisor has been trying to bring awareness to the situation at the border. David Lamb, Entity News, California. Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky and BlackRock CEO Larry Fink held a video conference today to discuss coordinating investments to rebuild Ukraine. Zelensky said in a statement that they've been working together for several months on a project to, quote, advise the Ukrainian government on how to structure the country's reconstruction funds. According to the statement, Fink and his BlackRock team will coordinate efforts to channel potential investor funds into key sectors of the Ukrainian economy. 
Since an initial meeting between Zelensky and Fink in September discussing the transfer of public and private investments into Kyiv, the two sides have been working on a comprehensive project. In November, the Ukrainian Ministry of Economy and BlackRock Financial Markets Advisory signed a memorandum confirming the plan. And another TikTok ban. This one comes from the House of Representatives. Congressmen and their staff are no longer allowed to use the popular video app on House devices. The House stated the app is considered high risk due to a number of security issues. Anyone who's already had the app on a House device must uninstall it. Today, Kansas Governor Laura Kelly also signed an executive order banning TikTok from state-owned devices. That brings the total to 20 states that have at least partially blocked the app from state electronics. They cite fears that the Chinese regime could use the app to track Americans and censor content. U.S. lawmakers are expected to ban the app from all federal devices soon. It's part of the $1.7 trillion government funding bill awaiting President Biden's signature. And if you bought a car in the last five years, some of its parts may have been made by Uyghurs forced to work in China. A new report claims that the Chinese regime has deliberately shifted raw materials mining, processing, and auto parts manufacturing into Xinjiang. This would essentially make international supply chains captive to repressive programs and systematic forced labor. NTD's Shar Marshall has more. Could your car's parts be linked to Chinese forced labor? That's what the U.S. Senate Finance Committee is asking major automakers to find out. They've asked eight major car makers to disclose whether any of their components are linked to alleged forced labor in China. The car makers include General Motors, Tesla, and Ford. This is according to letters made public. In June, a U.S. law took effect banning the import of forced labor goods from Xinjiang in a pushback against Beijing's treatment of China's Uyghur Muslim minority, which Washington has labeled genocide. The Senate committee also sent letters to Toyota, Volkswagen, Chrysler parent Stellantis, and Mercedes-Benz. The letters say, unless due diligence confirms that components are not linked to forced labor, automakers cannot and should not sell cars in the United States that include components mined or produced in Xinjiang. Senate Finance Committee Chair Ron Wyden cited a new report released earlier this month by Britain's Sheffield Halam University. The report says between raw materials, mining, processing, and auto parts, manufacturing, we found that practically every part of the car would require heightened scrutiny to ensure that it was free of Uyghur forced labor. The report focuses on the auto industry's use of steel, aluminum, copper, batteries, electronics, and other components produced in Xinjiang. Take lithium as an example. China processes 60% of the world's lithium, with a growing percentage of that refining underway in the Xinjiang region. The largest lithium actor in the region is called Xinjiang Asia Europe Rare Metal. It works with suppliers of the world's largest lithium-ion battery producers. Meanwhile, it has been receiving, quote, assigned workers since at least 2017. That's where indigenous citizens of the region are forced to work in labor-intensive industries and subjected to, quote, unprecedented coercion, accompanied by the constant threat of re-education, internment, and imprisonment. And it's not just battery materials, it's other components too. The report says the sewing of interior cushions and floor mats is underway in factories adjacent to some of the Uyghur region's most repressive internment camps. The report says the auto industry cannot wait another day to trace their supply chains back to the raw materials. To do anything short of full tracing would be an enormous legal, ethical, and reputational risk. Sean Marshall, NTD News. 
A new report from conservative think tanks fact-checks 10 climate disaster claims from 2022. NTD's Arlene Richards has more on the report. In 2022, news reports drew connections between natural disasters and climate change. According to the Climate Fact Check 2022 report, those claims clash with reality and science. The report breaks down nine major events this year and outlines how these occurred within normal variability without scientific connection to human emissions or even natural climate change. It also highlights how some claims contradict themselves. Stephen Malloy, a senior legal fellow at Energy and Environment Legal Institute, said mainstream media is politicizing bad weather. Even just the uh, snowstorm and big hole we had in the United States over Christmas weekend, um, they're trying to blame that on global warming or climate change. And this is all just, this politics it's got nothing to do with science. For example, he said the Associated Press reported that damages due to climate change were $268 billion this year. They go through a number of weather disasters like Pakistan, floods and hurricanes got nothing to do with climate. Why is there so much damage from weather events? The reason the damages are so much higher than they used to be is because there's so much more development in riskier regions, like with, for example, Hurricane Ian in Florida. Now in Florida, we have incredible coastal development. So if you take if you get a big hit from a storm, well, that you know, that's going to cost a lot of money. This year, AP received $8 million to fund climate change coverage. A February 2022 AP report states the AP's single largest expansion in climate change news was paid for through philanthropic grants. Malloy believes the funders are climate change activists. Lauren Easton, AP's vice president of corporate communications, said in an email to NTD, in all cases, AP is transparent about the source of any outside funding received and retains complete editorial control of all content. AP states that the extra reporting is helping people understand the implications and impacts of climate change on all aspects of their lives. Arlene Richards, NTD News. San Francisco is getting sued for allegedly forcing the homeless to move. They also allegedly threw their belongings away. But business owners and people fed up with the increasingly unsanitary conditions say there needs to be a balance between individual rights and clean public spaces. San Francisco is being sued for allegedly forcing homeless people to move and discard their belongings when the city doesn't have anywhere for them to stay. The Coalition on Homelessness and seven individuals sued the city in September, saying that city workers were forcing homeless people out of public areas without offering shelter, which is illegal. Toro Castaño, one of the seven individual plaintiffs, said without affordable housing, they are forced to move from place to place to satisfy complaints. And the larger picture is the lack of affordable housing over the last 40 years, the lack of construction, um, and the... Inability for the middle and working classes to sustain themselves here in San Francisco. But attorneys for San Francisco deny that city workers illegally force people to move or throw out personal items. They say there are strict policies to balance individual rights with the need to clean public spaces. It's not fair. I, I don't know which way to turn, you know, after losing all my stuff over and over again. I mean, you know, you can gain your stuff back, but it takes a lot of work. Other homeless people shared their experiences living on the streets. I've definitely been threatened. I've been threatened here, and I've definitely been told that if I was to come back here or whatever, that they would arrest me. I believe that there should be some kind of designated help 
to help someone, you know, be able to get on their feet and get on track if they desire to. Despite the city's $672 million annual budget to address homelessness, everyone remains frustrated from homeless advocates to business owners, residents and unhoused people. I don't want to say that someone without a home is a nuisance, but I will say that, uh, yeah, having an encampment, it, it's often uh, it does scare people away. The San Francisco Department of Emergency Management, which houses encampment cleanup centers, said in a statement that outreach workers talk to unhoused residents beforehand to explain the process and offer services, including shelter. Taking a break now, but if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, you can email us at eveningnews at ntd.com. Coming up, a show of classical Chinese dance impressing audience members in Silicon Valley. We have the reactions. And where sports and politics collide, an Iranian female chess player competed today, but without her hijab. How will the government respond? NTD's Dave Martin has the details. That and more when we return. Shen Yun returns to California with its all-new 2023 show. The classical Chinese dance performance has been called a cultural phenomenon. Here's what audience members had to say on opening night. One of the regions of California that Shen Yun Performing Arts is visiting for its world tour in 2023 is the state's Bay Area. And as you can see behind me, the San Jose Performing Arts Center is its first stop in the state. Now. It's a bright in time for the holiday season for friends and family to get together. Many audience members were impressed at Shen Yun's December 26th performance in Silicon Valley. I'm here with my wife and friends. It's amazing, it's amazing, very nice. And I like the way you have uh, incorporated the technology as well as uh, the actual performance. It's very elegant, really love it. The costumes and uh, the elegant uh, things and the live orchestra is amazing. For many that have been waiting, seeing Shen Yun was a Christmas gift with their loved ones. I'm quite impressed. It wasn't anything like I expected. Um, I love the dance. I love the, the music. I love the, uh, the thoughts that are behind the show. I love the backdrops. They're fantastic. It's very, uh, it's very unique. It's something I've never seen before. Combination and the intersection of the music uh, along with the dance was something I haven't really seen before, so it was really awesome. Shen Yun performs a new program of choreography and music every year. I think that it's important to, to look, at, uh, look at culture and preserve culture and then look in modern times and look at how do we keep culture evolving and progressing. Glad that somebody else is standing up and then performing to let the rest of the world know as to what it is. I think we need much, much more of it. We need uh, something to inspire us because the current culture is not inspiring. Well, please keep doing what you're doing. Uh, we need more of your work in today's world. Shen Yun Performing Arts is performing in over a dozen California cities, including San Francisco, Berkeley, Sacramento, and San Diego. David Lamb, NTD News, San Jose, California. Now over to sports news. Here's NTD's Dave Martin with today's top stories. Thank you, Don. Iranian chess player Sarah Kadam took part in an international tournament in Kazakhstan today, but without wearing a hijab. Now, the tournament was the FIDE World Rapid and Blitz Chess Championships, and this is the second straight day she was without a headscarf 
which is a violation of Iran's strict female dress code. Iran has been swept up by demonstrations recently ever since the September death of 22-year-old Masa Amini at the hands of the morality police. In October, Iranian female rock climber Elnaz Rakabi competed in an international climbing event without her hijab. She later said it was an accident, though some suspect that comment was made under duress. Kadam, meanwhile, is ranked 804th in the chess world and number 10 in her home country. And in NBA news, the Phoenix Suns will be without guard Devin Booker for at least four weeks because of a left groin strain. The three-time All-Star has already missed six of the last nine games with hamstring and groin ailments. He tried playing on Christmas against Denver but left the game after just playing four minutes. The 26-year-old is 12th in the league in scoring at just over 27 points a game and already has two 50-point games this season. Phoenix, meanwhile, is 5th in the Western Conference at 20-15, and 15, but has lost 8 of their last 12 games. And for your sports viewing schedule tonight, the NBA has 8 games planned, including the streaking Brooklyn Nets, winners of 9 straight games, playing at the Atlanta Hawks. Meanwhile, the NHL has five games on tap for this evening, including the team with the league's best record, the Boston Bruins, taking on the New Jersey Devils. And that's it for your sports news. Back to you, Don. Thanks, Dave. The New Year's Eve Bowl in Times Square has an update. New Waterford Crystal Triangles have been installed. They are set to be a key part of the famed ball drop ceremony this year. Every year, millions of eyes around the world turn to the New Year's Eve ball in Times Square, counting down the last few seconds of the year. The crystal ball is 12 feet in diameter and weighs more than 11,000 pounds. The sphere contains more than 2,600 Waterford crystal triangles. The shapes are anchored to an aluminum frame and illuminated by LED lights. The ball is able to display more than 16 million vibrant color points and billions of patterns, forming a spectacular scene on the roof of one Times Square. This year, over 190 crystal triangles have been replaced. The new crystals represent the theme of 2023, the gift of love. You can see these intertwining beautiful love hearts on this cut on both sides, designed by Irish craftsmen. And this is what's really special about this, and this is part of this brand new theme, greatest gift, the gift of love. We need this after the pandemic. We've all gone through a horrendous two years. We've come out the other side of it and we've come out better. We surround ourselves with love. We've got everything. Each year, Waterford's Irish artisans handcraft these crystals for this special occasion. This year marks the 10th year of the greatest gift crystal collections. Since the pandemic outbreak in 2020, in-person viewing of the iconic ball drop has been subject to varying degrees of restrictions. But this year, they've all been lifted. Cultural traditions make a big part of holiday celebrations, especially for kids. Let's take a look at some children's books from 2022 and draw some inspiration for a family reading list. The First Notes, the story of Do Re Mi, is an illustrated book that speaks to the beauty of music and the power of perseverance. The book follows the story of medieval musician Guido Arezzo, the Italian monk who invented the musical note system. The second book celebrates the uniqueness of every child, with the name, I'm so glad you were born, celebrating who you are. Author Ainsley Earhart tells children they are valued by their family and society, no matter who they are. Earhart is the author of best-selling children's book, Take Heart, My Child. 
The Longest Wait is the second book about Patrick Picklebottom, following the Penny Book in 2020. In the news story, Patrick goes to storybook hour a bit early. He sits and waits, sings and dances, and even writes a short poem. But it turns out he comes on the wrong day for storybook hour. But still, he had so much fun waiting. The next book is about courage, describing how a girl tackles her fear of darkness. She catches a star by stacking items on top of each other. How to Count Sheep Without Getting Bored Bobby Moynihan, famous for being a cast member on Saturday Night Live for nearly 10 years, tells kids that imagination is all-powerful. His book makes the whole sheep-counting experience playful. Finally, a storytelling guide designed for children. 52 illustrations take them on a fantasy journey of their own. Melbourne-based author Elise Hurst is an illustrator and fine artist specializing in children's books. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Don Ma. Good night.